What's up, everybody? Welcome to another episode of Elevate Your Grind brought to you by the Cannabis Lab. I'm your host, Todd Rosales, and welcome back to our lovely show. The thing I love about this show is the diversification with guests here. We have people from all over the industry. We get to talk about so many topics, um, and I enjoy talking about all of them. I enjoy talking with folks like Ted about cultivation and its beginnings in California and transitioning from the black market. I enjoy talking to investment folks about what's going on with regulations, why nobody has money, um, things of that nature. I love talking to the accountants about tax burdens. I love talking to the lawyers about regulation and things like that. And I know sometimes that's weird. The only people I can't hang with are insurance people just because I don't get it. But they're entertaining as well, too. So uh, with that being said, we've got a great slate of guests coming up with you for you over the next couple of weeks. Of course, check out all of our episodes at youtube.com slash elevate your grind. Uh, anything cannabis lab, check us out every month, Orlando, Tampa, Broward, Miami, potentially Palm beach County every month, the third Thursday of the month, this month, it'll be on July 20th. Check it out in those locations at American social. You can find more about that at www.joincelab.com. All right. My guest today is, uh, he's the CIO of an MSO. I'm just talking in letters now, but he's the CIO of an MSO that I think doesn't get as much attention as they deserve. Um, I will say I'm under education, undereducated about this company, so I'm really looking forward to the conversation today. Please welcome my guest, Andrew Toot. Andrew, thank you for joining me. Uh, thanks for having me. Great. Absolutely. To be- this is the first time that we've had Forefront on the show, so I appreciate you joining us. I see that you've waited to prove ourselves with like 230 episodes before you guys made the decision <laughs> to jump in, but I'm glad that we finally hit the requirements to get your presence here. No, I'm uh, happy to be here. Thanks for thanks for having me on. Awesome, man. Well, you guys, you know, I I unfortunately hate to say, I think the tone of a lot of the episodes lately have been somewhat doom and gloom, but cautiously optimistic. And it's just a, you know, it's a reflection of the state of the industry now, but realistically a state of the economy. I mean, the industry is not suffering on its own here. What are you seeing out there? You know, what are we getting to a point where last year is starting to be in the rear view mirror and things are starting to turn around? Have enough people really figured out how to start making money that the industry is going to come back around? Or are we still going to see a lot of people shutting their doors? Um, I am not sure it's a, it's a it's an effect of the state of the economy. Like we are still seeing, you know, really healthy volumes through all of our stores. Um, and we're seeing, you know, the obvious, obvious price degradation in Massachusetts and a little bit in Illinois, um, and in, on, on the West coast, but the, the actual volume of foot traffic and customers through is, is still pretty robust. And you're seeing some folks, you know, fall by the wayside, but I wouldn't say it was a consumer spending issue. You know, I think, um, you know, you've got three big issues going on in cannabis right now. You know, one is, um, you know, our lack of our lack of ability to, you know, get funding. And so as a cannabis provider, if you're don't have access to capital, um, you know, you're 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 struggling. And I think the reason most people don't have access to capital is because they aren't free cash flow. Because if you're we're in a really tough environment and folks do not want to fund losses. So in, in, in order to even be a candidate to bring capital into your business, you've got to be cash flowing. So, you know, that's something that we've been you know, hard at work at Forefront doing. The other, the other two things that I'd sort of say are, are, are big problems in the industry, I guess I'd say three more things. One is overtaxation. Um, 
you know, when, when, when cannabis started to legalize going back 10 years and they started to put all the legislation in place to put the framework around this industry state by state, you know, the, the tax rates were just to our owners. All the local municipalities thought that this was going to be, you know, just a goodie jar forever and ever and ever. And, you know, what you've seen is pricing comes down as, you know, capacities come on. And, you know, these, these pricing in these states is really normalized. And so it hasn't been, you know, the boon, the profit boon that, that anyone thought, whether that be operators or regulators. And so the tax rates are way too high. Um, I think the third thing is federal federal regulation um, and lack of movement. I am entering my 10th year in this industry right now, and we've actually gone backwards from a federal standpoint over that time. The reason I say that is because um, Jeff Sessions, you know, the the DOJ under Donald Trump, they rescinded the coal memo, which so, you know, when you really look at what's been going on at a federal level, we've gone backwards and, you know, and we've had everything in this industry takes twice as long and is, and is four times as hard because you don't have access to, to banking services and because of the federal illegality. And yeah. then I think the third thing or the fourth thing that has really been, you know, a total curveball for the industry is the rollout of social equity and, you know, regulators, um, you know, rightfully have come to the conclusion that, hey, you know, if we're going to, if we're going to, if we're going to legalize cannabis in our state, you know, we can't say, okay, well, let's, let's roll in, you know, rich white guys and, and these guys get the industry because they prove that they can have access to capital, et cetera. And so, you know, there need, there needs to be some recognition that, you know, there's still folks sitting in jail for doing, you know, what we're doing in terms of selling cannabis. And, but I think, so I think there, there was, there were some, um, you know, really good ideas in, in the idea of, you know, having set, having so big a social equity component in this industry. I think the rollout of it has been disastrous from a business standpoint. Um, and folks like Corey Booker, um, really had no idea what they were talking about when he said, you know, I'm going to lay myself down in front of safe banking, uh, because it's only going to benefit the big, the big cannabis providers. And he just didn't understand the issue, frankly, because, you know, him blocking safe banking last year did more to upset the social equity framework than, than anything he possibly could have done. Because if we give licenses to social equity, you know, those folks don't have access to banking either and, yeah. and, and probably have, in a lot of cases, you know, have, uh, you know, they don't have, you know, the ex finance connections to come up with money. Um, so the it's, it's really hurt the, it's hurt those operators significantly. And it's also hurt the industry in terms of, um, if, if we're rolling out these licenses, these, these retail licenses to social equity folks, and they're not able to get open, you have a dynamic where, you know, those markets aren't growing. And in fact, the supply that's coming online to feed those stores that were expected to come online needs to be discounted. And so you've seen a big pricing dip. Yeah. So there's been four things that we've been really wrestling with uh, as an industry. And I think, you know, we could go down any number of rabbit holes, but if I were to try to try to put a bow on it, I'd say it was those four. Yeah, I, I agree with you. And I think it's, I want to kind of expand on a few of those topics. The first one being social equity. And I think you you kind of said it right is 
the unfortunate part is rolling out social equity right now and providing licenses right now when when the industry investment in the industry is down 97% is almost a disservice to those licenses because they're almost setting they're not they're setting them up for failure right because it is it's hard for operating companies that are, you know are cash flowing or or at least have operations going have product have have other things to raise capital you know these social equity companies are going to struggle even more especially if they don't have anything if they're pre-revenue if they're pre-operation it, it's just not fair really it's here's a license that we know is not going to work out um you You're know absolutely positively setting these folks up for failure yeah. it's not yeah. even and one of the things that i was so i was very bullish on uh safe banking passing in the defense bill last year and one of the reasons i was bullish other than you know reading the tea leaves and hearing what you were hearing is that schumer you know was rolling out you know the new york was opening up their recreational program and the New York rollout of rec cannabis was was largely predicated on a successful social equity launch. And you were like, well, there's no way that this guy is going to let New York open their recreational cannabis program without safe banking. So like, it just wouldn't make sense. It would be yeah. suicide politically and blah, blah, blah. And and it happened. And then insult to injury to New York is for some reason, we're OK with lawlessness now. And in California and New York City, there are 1,400 unlicensed, unregulated dispensaries that are bringing in product from California. And so as a licensed, as a licensed retail operator in New York City, I've got to pay taxes. I've got to deal with zoning. I've got to pay with all the licensing fees. I've got to deal with inferior product that I'm getting from upstate. And I've got to compete with these black market dispensaries, 1,400 of them. So talk about setting folks up to fail. It's just a joke. Yeah. And um, it, I, it, it's, it's, it's such a head scratcher right now, um, you know, particularly in New York and California, um, just how butchered those rollouts of those rec programs have been. So on that note, right, and this is what I've been very big about. Like, I think we, we're we all in this industry and we're all working towards a common goal, you know, descheduling, federal legalization, right? But mm -hmm. we all talk about these horror stories of every market starting up and the issues that are there. We look at a state like California where you would think you know, cannabis would thrive. Some of the best weed in the country comes from California. You have legacy brands there. You have legacy cultivators. It's been a part of the culture forever, but the market is taking a shit. Like it, it is and not all over the place, but you have price compression. You have folks that are giving up their licenses and going back into the black market because they just can't afford to operate. So all of a sudden we start talking and looking at federal legalization, but there's no de facto model to point to, to say that we should do it that way. On top of that, the folks that unfortunately, and I don't want this to turn into an anti-government rant, but the folks that are going to be tasked with legalizing cannabis have no clue what the F that they're doing in order to do so and do it the right way and do it in an equitable way. And I don't know how much they are relying on folks like you and the other major cannabis providers where I also think they should bring in folks like, you know, Caleb and Ted of, of alien labs and some of these early on brands that help, you know, kind of ignite the industry too. both sides of the, you know, the, the culture side and the, the corporate side of cannabis together to talk about legalization when they're just going to be a bunch of politicians that are going to try to base it off of alcohol or try to base it off a of big farmer, try to base it off of something. And my fear is that, it hurts our industry more than it helps it because of the way that they do it. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think that, 
you know, one of the biggest disappointments and is, you know, when, you know, we had a, uh, uh, when Biden got elected and we had the special election in Georgia and it was pretty clear that we we're going to have an all blue Congress for at least two years. You know, it was very clear that, you know, the folks that, you know, the, the vocal lawmakers were listening to, you know, Booker and Schumer, you know, they were listening to, you know, regulators that had no idea and, and, and advocates who have no idea how capitals form. They have no and so if you're giving advice to someone and you only have knowledge of one facet of the industry and not the whole industry, you're giving that person crappy advice. And so I think that, you know, Cory Booker in particular just got bad advice and he didn't understand the issue. Yeah. Secondly, I think that the, the industry is largely, um, Given to groups like, you know, we, we've, we've, you know, one of our founders, Chris Crane, who's a dear friend of mine, was one of the founders of Students for Sensible Drug Policy. Um, and so we've always given to them, we've given to, you know, Drug Policy Alliance, we've given to, you know, and then we give to NCIA. But my point in all this is that the traditional advocacy groups, our goals, their goals are deviating from the industries. Mm -hmm. And so I think the industry last year was sort of a wake up call to the industry to say, oh, wow, you know, we aren't really in the same canoe anymore. We've got different objectives here. And not that we have, you know, we're, we're looking for, you know, a reasonable industry that has economic viability um, along with, you know, offering social justice and those other things. Whereas I just don't think, you know, a lot of these advocacy groups, you know, have any lens on, or any view on, um, you know, what makes a healthy industry and what yeah. attracts capital. And, you know, the fact of the matter is the cannabis industry is a capital intensive one. And, you know, the capital formation has to be a big piece of, you know, rolling out a regulated and legalized cannabis industry. I, I couldn't agree with you more. I, I think that's something that I mean, in a lot of in a lot of situations where people don't realize if you don't have a healthy functioning industry that can thrive and grow, then it doesn't matter how much social equity or how much opportunity you give to anybody, you're going to make it the hardest environment for someone to be successful in. But if we can grow the industry together instead of I, I talk to both sides of the conversation and there's so many people and you see it on a LinkedIn of all places and all over and they just hate on MSOs and they hate on the big companies because they think they're not doing it right or it's corporate greed or all this stuff. But at the end of the day, like that's capitalism and that's not greed, but like corporations are capitalism. People are taking advantage of an opportunity that's put in front of them. And if they succeed, we're in such an infancy in the industry that it's just going to pull up everybody else with them because they're going to create this new industry. And then folks are going to be, and then the free market will let people choose who they want to buy at some point. But we have to let these bigger companies pioneer the path for everybody else to follow. And if you guys think if, if the average person thinks that first mover advantage for a small business is what's going to make them successful, they're wrong because a lot of first movers wrong. are also the first ones out of the industry too. Well, I had a, I used to be in the investment industry and I had a, a mentor that said, you know, the pioneers get a lot of arrows and um, there's, there's definitely something to that in the cannabis industry. And I totally agree with you. Um, yeah. I don't understand this whole sentiment about, you know, Oh, big marijuana. It's like, okay, so you've got true leaf, cure leaf, GTI, 
And I guess you'd throw Cresco in there and Verano. So there, there we're talking five. The rest of us, you know, are, you know, growing our businesses. And I always just yeah. sort of scratch my head. I was like, what exactly have I done wrong? We have, all I've all I've done was, you know, put 10 years of my blood, sweat and tears into this industry, trying to be a good citizen, trying to grow this business the right way. We employ over 800 people with really good wages and provide health care. McDonald's and Walmart can't say that. Um, and, you know, we're laying the groundwork for, you know, what is a what could be um a really strong growth engine economically for a lot of these states. And I'm not really, I'm sort of scratching my head exactly, you know, what, what entrepreneurs who saw an opportunity in this industry did wrong. Um, and what our, what our, what our transgression was for seeing an opportunity and working your tail off to try to make it happen. Cause people need someone to blame for the reason that they're not successful is, yeah. is and they, what they it need, is. Yeah. I think, I think folks need to blame the politicians first and foremost. And they do because they and, and it's 100 percent true. The reason that we have things the way that they are is because the politicians set up in environments where it has to be extremely capital intensive for you to be able to not only get into the industry, but to even have a fighting chance to compete. Right. Like and when I first got into this industry, I was like the first thing that we did was we tried to get licenses in mass. So, you know, I, you know, I had a 75 page background check. Um, you had to show proof of funds that you had $5 million available to go build out these facilities. And, um, and you couldn't have a felony in Massachusetts. You couldn't have any blemishes on your record. They really wanted to like put these into, you know, those were the types of that. Those were the types of hurdles they put in front of licensing. And then they turn around and say, well, you're big marijuana. I was like, what, what did I do? I followed the rules. Yeah. The, ge the construct that you guys set up, I went and did. Yeah. Um, so, you know, I think you're hearing a little bit of my like frustration. No, you know, I, I, we've been, we've been pretty friggin' big taxpayers and pretty friggin' big job creators in, in this industry. And to have arrows thrown at you because, you know, you're perceived as being, you know, a big, bad corporate, you know, player is preposterous. This this is the thing that's interesting to me, right? Is and and I, I don't know if you know who Ted Lighty is. He's the the founder and CEO of Alien Labs, which is a very culturally large brand, and I'm sure you're familiar with them in California, right? Heard the name, yeah. And I've spoken to Ted uh, last week, and it was a great conversation. So I keep referencing it, and I told him I think it's it's his fans and the fan of those brands are the ones that are doing it because they just. They don't understand where guys, if you look at truly even the brands they brought to Florida, Alien Labs, Connected, uh, Delicioso, Black Tuna Gang, these are all legacy cultivators that were working in the black market and they didn't have the ability to do it on their own, unfortunately, right? So they're able to strike a deal with a company like Trulieve to mm -hmm. get their product and license it to that company where they can make a ton of money. Uh, one of the brands they have, Miami Mango, he, he made a comment on First Smoke of the Day. He goes, say whatever you want, but the direct deposit clears every month on the date it's supposed to. So I have no problem with them, right? So yeah. when we have these legacy cultivators that have been in the game, the ones who have the scars on their back, and they're the ones that became big enough that they can transition into the rec market and they have these corporations that are willing to do deals with them. And if they don't have a problem with it, then at what point do we say these other opinions don't matter? Like I'm all for, for social equity. I'm all for giving everybody a fair shot, but then it's also, we need to figure out a way to capitalize these companies 
And part of that is allowing them to work for, I mean, let's look through every other industry in history. How many entrepreneurs came out of another company where they worked for a company like Forefront, learned a lot about what you did and said, hey, I can do this on my own. And then they started another company that gets to be a sister, not a sister company, you, but another yeah. large company, right? Yeah. That's happened over and over again in time. And if anybody thinks it's too late to enter a category, specifically cannabis, holy shit, are we still in the first inning? Look at what Liquid Death did with water. Water, that. It, it, individually serving size water has been around forever and all liquid death did was put it in a can slap a cool name on it and said it's going to murder your thirst and they're a billion dollar brand that came up what maybe 10 years ago in the water industry it is definitely not too late to go into cannabis there are going to be brands all over the place that don't exist right now like i've been i have a unique unique perspective because i've been around for 10 years so over then and we've always had the sort of the same mantra and it's it's you know we're we're entrepreneurs and we're managing a business and a landscape that's changes pretty quickly. So we have to, we have to tack here and there and pivot here and there. And that's just what, that's what strong management teams do. But, you know, over the course of my career in cannabis, I've been told, why aren't you more like Ianthus? Why aren't you more like MedMen? Why aren't you more like, you know, why aren't you more like Acreage? Look at how fast they're growing and acquiring everything. We apologize for staying in business. Yeah, it's, 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 and you know, I've, I can't tell you how many people have come and gone while, you know, while we haven't done everything perfectly by a long shot, you know, we're still in business and we are, we're, we're, we're growing excellent product. Um, uh, particularly, you know, our, our products in, in, in Washington, uh, I haven't checked recently, but you know, we, we've sort of historically been the number two flower provider out of our facilities in Washington and the number one edibles producer. That's we awesome. We have different brands, like an eight, nine percent market share out of those facilities. And so, and then you go to Massachusetts, you know, we have, and you're going to wince when I say this, I know, but you know, I something like uh, 80, 75% of our 75 or 80% of our flour produced in mass is testing over 25% THC. Now that's, that's not going to be the hallmark long-term of what quality cannabis is, but you know, we've got a really good product and, um, and we're just, we're just in the early stages. And that, you know, that's something too. I don't understand what's wrong with finding people who are passionate about growing and giving them, if they're willing to take it a paycheck to be able to do what they love every day and have that kind of financial security, the life of an entrepreneur is not for everybody. It, it, it is, it's tough. And you know, how many entrepreneurs go without making a dollar or that many dollars until they finally get to an exit or they get to a point where they can pay themselves. So for people to have a, a sustainable income to do something that they love to do every week to me, that's why I don't understand the hate in this industry. There's too much. And the other thing too, is I believe a lot of those people are too far into it. Whereas you know, most of my friends don't work in cannabis. They'll consume cannabis. They're part-time consumers. They're not, you know, heavy stoners or anything else. Like the companies that they're familiar with are the true leaves of the world, the cure leaves of the world and everything else. Cause that's, what's in the media. Right. Yeah. So I I'm cheering for those companies because that is the public facing image of the cannabis company. And I think we're still at a point as cannabis industry. And I think we're still at a point in time where the industry needs to keep its reputation clean for the court of public opinion. And I, I would hate to see corruption. I would hate to see bad stories. I would hate to see 
these companies just operating in such an unorthodox and unethical manner that it just puts a smirk or a mark across the entire industry when the industry doesn't deserve it. So, you know, I, I don't know. I, I don't think I commend the people that call them out, but we want to make sure that the companies that the majority of the public are familiar with, I think forefronts in that group, um, especially on the West coast that, you guys are doing the right thing because it just, again, to me, lifts the entire industry up together. And it allows for those smaller brands to expand into other states. It allows them to build an audience. It allows them to have an ecosystem in which they can sell their products and thrive and grow. I totally agree with you. When I first started in this industry, you know, I refer to my friend, Chris Crane, you know, he really educated me on all things cannabis. And I was always sort of a casual consumer, but when I came into the industry, I had a lot to learn about the history of the advocacy and, and um, in particular, and, you know, some of the, some of the injustices that have been done. Um, but, you know, one of the things that we said even early on when I started in cannabis is like, look, we have a really important responsibility here to show folks that cannabis can be legalized in a highly regulated way with responsible operators and the sky's not going to fall. And that will not only be, you know, a potential, you know, source of income in terms of taxes and jobs for, for governments. Um, but, you know, we can do away with, you know, throwing folks in jail and, and, and ruining their lives with, with criminal records. So we took that responsibility really seriously and, you know, here we are, um, you know, close to 10 years, a little over 10 years later. And, um, you know, we think we've fulfilled that responsibility. We've acted as, you know, very responsible operators. So I want to kind of transition now. I know so you, you come from a, call it a Wall Street background. You've worked with, in the investment world a long time. You have this opportunity at Forefront. And being in the, in the cannabis industry, there's a lot of, there's a lot more restrictions, you know a lot of the things that you can do to traditionally finance a business are not available to the cannabis industry. A lot of the channels in which you're probably well-connected may not be available to the industry. Talk to me about the importance of safe banking and what that would do. And if there's a way that the industry can operate better with things kind of the way they are today, right? Because my fear, and, and we'll start with the safe banking thing, but my fear is that if we don't get any of this stuff passed, I'm afraid that there are too many companies that are relying on some of this passing at some point in time in the future for growth plans or, or business plans. And they're mm -hmm. having to pivot to this shit may not pass because you know, you've been in the industry twice, twice as long as I have. I've been in the industry for four or five years. And I remember joining the industry five years ago, people were saying federal legalization is five years away. That was in 2018. We're in 2023. And federal legalization, everyone says, is still at least five years away. That 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 number has not changed. Yeah. Um, there are a lot of us quoted in, in 2020 and 2021 saying we think safe banking is gonna pass. And we're and and I pulled this quote, and I don't mean to say it in a derogatory way, because we've all had pie in our face in this way. You said we're about to enter a golden age of cannabis um on the Cannibal and Connect show. That's my my friend Kevin. Yeah. And trust me, I've said plenty of things along that similar. And here we are two years later and we're all kind of like, what the fuck? Why are they not passing this stuff? What's wrong with them? So at what point do we stop being reliant on what may pass and figure out how to best operate in the environment that we're given right now? Yeah, I, I think we're doing that right now, Todd. So yeah, I mean, I really did think it was the goal we were entering the golden age where we had we all did. 
2020 kind of was blue for a little Congress bit. and a blue president and a calm a vice president who, you know, was was one of the sponsors of the States Act. So um, they got I just, us. I just can't I just couldn't believe like when it fell apart, you know, when when safe banking fell apart last December, I remember sitting in my in my parents living room, just like staring into space for like 10 minutes. I was like, I can't believe they fucked this up so badly. And, you know, they had control of both houses and the presidency and they got zero done on cannabis. It's a it's appalling. Mm-hmm. And almost to the point where, you know, I just thought Schumer was on the take. I was like, he must be on the take because he put he put forth his legalization bill, COA or whatever it's called, which was a crappy bill to start. Secondly, he knew it had zero chance of passing. And so, okay, we're going to float this up. We're going to run this up the flagpole, knowing it has no chance of passing. In the meantime, we're going to let any other progress on cannabis slip away. So I was I was an absolute shock. And I think you can see from the reactions and the stocks in this space, all investors were an absolute shock. Like, shit, you can't get it done with an all blue executive branch and a blue Congress. Like, when are you ever going to be able to get it done? Yeah. And, and, and by the way, you know, public approval for medicals over 90 percent. And and I don't know where recreational is right now, but I think it's it was at 70. 70. Yeah. You're mm-hmm. like, what what is going on right now? So I think that, um, you know, we've all had to sort of temper our expectations because we had bigger growth plans. And, you know, as the environment continued to play out and we rolled into 2023, you said, all right, guys, we're, we're back to it. Like, forget about growth right now. We're in, you know, let's be, let's make sure that we are one of the winners and survivors, you know, when this finally turns and what is that, what's that going to take? It's going to take, you know, us, us making sure that we're running a super tight business. Yep. Um, and we're cash flowing. Yeah. And, and to the extent that we can come in, we can come into it to more capital for growth. Awesome. But, you know, the, 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 the first order of business here is making sure that, um, you know, we are one of the winners when, you know, the tide comes back in. Um, What's crazy to me is I just don't think the general public understands how restricted that is. I think because, you know, the court of public opinion is so high, I don't think people realize, I, I can't tell you how many conversations I get, we'll call them civilians if they're not in the industry, with mm-hmm. civilians that... They don't they don't realize that you can't go across state lines. They don't realize that you have to be licensed in every state in which you operate. They don't understand that a company like Forefront is essentially operating six individual different businesses with, you know, trying to mirror as much as they can. They don't get that. I mean, I have friends that know Florida's medical. And and I remember just from when Cookies opened in Miami, you know, there was a gigantic line and so many people in line didn't have their medical card and they didn't understand that Cookies was still selling medical cannabis. They didn't realize that they couldn't just walk into a cookie store and buy wheat. Like, so I, I think the general public also doesn't even realize how regulated it is that us on the inside do. So when, you know, when the issues are out there, some people are just like, Oh yeah, you can buy weed. It's fine. They don't realize that there are ways to make it more accessible, ways to make it better. And and I don't know if that's one of the major issues that we have. Well, they, they don't understand that, you know, they're like, Oh my gosh, you're in the cannabis industry. You must be, you must be killing it. It's like, no, 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 I sell it legally. I'm not killing it. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, I've been, I've been I've been paying, you know, exorbitantly high taxes. We've been, you know, investing a lot in future growth that's sort of been, you know, had roadblocks thrown thrown in front of it the whole way. Um, 
you know, as a executive at a cannabis industry, I've had my bank accounts shut down across the board, including yeah. brokerage accounts. I couldn't refinance my mortgage um, because, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm in the cannabis industry and, um, you know, so that, yeah, people, that's something people, a lot of people, people don't, don't get talk about too, is the people who are working in the industry and them being um, kept from traditional, you know, financial institutions as well. It's bonkers. And I, and I start, you know, I, I, I've been, I've gone from like being frustrated to being angry about it. And, you know, I, I'm like, look, like we are, we are potentially this industry employs, you know, four or 500,000 people. It's bigger than the dental industry. And like, we can't get basic banking services. Like we employ, you know, look at the crappy jobs at like McDonald's and Walmart, you know, have, yeah. where, you know, their employees, I was watching a bit this morning where, you know, John Stewart was talking to, you know, Janet Yellen about how, you know, the taxpayers basically subsidize, you know, Walmart's employees by, or Walmart by, you know, giving their employees food stamps and, you know, they're on, you know, government healthcare. Like we're an industry that like, we're a company that employs over 800 people with great weight, with really good wages and um, healthcare benefits. And we support families and economic growth. And when is the government going to say, you know, stop treating us like, you know, this, this redheaded stepchild that yeah. well, they can, they could just kick dirt at all the time. It, it's stupid things. Like, you know, there, there's so many stupid nuanced things that people are like, you know, you, at the end of the day, like we, there are ways to get a bank account. Some of the fees are absolutely predatory. You know, there's lending out there that those are at extremely high rates, but you know, like stupid things. If you're having trouble with your bank account, just things like ACH payments, electronic payments between companies is a giant pain in the ass. And, you know, I remember when I was running a cannabis brand, we we would we would get paid royalties on the on the cannabis that we would sell. And although we weren't essentially a plant touching company, when we'd make deposits, it would take six, eight, you know, eight weeks longer just for a check to clear. And as a cash strap startup, like that doesn't fly. We we need the money because it needs to go out the door to go pay for something mm -hmm. so we can continue to move on. And those little nuanced pain in the ass things, like just being able to get your payments and pay your vendors on time is a huge hindrance. It's absolutely, and no one really gets it. And, and you're like, yeah, well, yes, you can find a banking provider in each state that you're in. And then you, you know, are trying to roll it all up and you've got this cobbled solution that goes state by state of these disparate banking banks. You know, which 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 at which adds a level of difficulty and speaks to exactly what you just said. Um, but you know, there's no there's no line of credit. There's no working there's no working capital loans from banks. You know, we had we got fired last year because our payroll provider um, said they didn't realize that we were in the cannabis industry, and so we have to go scramble and figure out how we're going to move 800 employees to another payroll provider and, and which payroll provider will take us. Mm -hmm. So all these little things that are like waking up in the morning and having your cup of coffee in any other industry are, um, you know, can present, you know, a lot of work and a lot of challenges in the cannabis industry. It does, man. And it's crazy. You know, the last thing we can touch on with this is the worst part of it is when you look at the the cannabis stocks, especially they're not even traded on U.S. exchanges, but they don't move based on earning calls. They move mm -hmm. based on legislation. And the funniest thing to me, and you see this pointing out on Twitter all the time, is you'll 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 they'll announce a hearing on safe banking. And for some reason, Tilray stock will grow up. And it's like, wait a second, they, they have nothing to do with it. There's they, there's nothing more frustrating. You know, when you look at it and you're like, wait a minute, 
You know, these Canadian companies who lose billions of dollars and serve, you know, what, 36 million people, you know, like they're reacting to U.S. news. Yeah. Like, you, uh, well, yeah. Let, let's 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 not ruin your day on this. Entire no, podcast. you're not ruining my day. I'm just it's it's sometimes it's good to sort of talk, talk at three. You're like, yeah, these are the challenges that we that we deal with every day. It but I think is, the bottom I, line on banking, there's I, I'm still bullish. You know, it sounds like, you know, the Democrats have sort of taken their medicine and they're not going to, you know, try to jam too much stuff in it that are going to make the GOP balk. And it sounds like it's a priority. And I think it's it's going to it's going to go a long way. And people are like, well, you're already banked kind of sort of. It's like, well, no, you don't have, you know, access to, you know, U.S. exchanges. We can't let U.S. investment banks won't raise help us raise money. Um, so I'm still out there banging the phones, trying to raise money for things with family offices and everything else. So that that liquidity that having banking, the liquidity into the system that banking would provide um, would be huge. But what I think is a bigger deal is going to be and, and what I am hearing is possibly more imminent is this FDA rescheduling. And um you know, what do I know? My credibility is so shot on predicting what's going on in Washington. That, you know. I, I think we all were in the same boat there, though. <laughs> I, I, kinda, I don't think I you're put forth what I'm right hearing, now. like very gently. It's like, well, for what it's worth, this is what I'm hearing. Yeah. But, you know, when, you know, the secretary of HHS came out last week or two weeks ago and sort of said, you know, we hope to have this done this year. You know, a lot of the folks that rescheduling, a lot of the folks I'm talking to, who, you know, really have their ear to the ground in Washington, you know, had the same reaction. They said he would not said this year if they weren't pretty friggin' close because things move pretty slowly in Washington. Yeah, they do. And I so, you know, that would be a really big deal because it would, you know, it would get rid of 280E if they rescheduled to schedule three. So is, is that going to cause a whole other heap of issues with legalities of how we're doing business today? So that's what I, and again, I haven't looked, I haven't had that many conversations about it from what I hear that rescheduling both fixes a lot of problems and then introduces a, a heap of new ones. So I'm curious yeah. to know. My, my theory on this whole thing is what has taken uh, the Department of Justice and Merrick Garland so long to write a follow-up to the Cole memo that Jeff Sessions canceled mm -hmm. is that, you know, he needs to address some of these nuances, right? So if, if, if the DEA comes out and said, okay, fine, it's a schedule three and we're all on board with that, there are going to be a lot of wrinkles that they need to deal with, including, you know, the fact that the U S has been beating up everyone in the UN to outlaw cannabis for the last 50 years. Yeah. And, you know, we we're sort of leading that charge and then we're going to go and, you know, accept it. So there are those types of, of wrinkles that I think that needed, needed to be dealt with. And I think that that's what is kind of prolonging this a little bit. But I'm I'm uh, I don't know, knocking on wood. I'm pretty bullish on, you know, some catalyst that could pop up in the second half of the year here. Uh, you know, I, I am, too. I think I think. You know, at some point, the court of public opinion has to 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 affect something, right? And I think most people are okay with it. I think it's accepted a whole lot more. I think the criminalization of it is being enforced less and less, unless it's strategic for somebody. Um, you know, TSA is not really looking for it when you can go to California and you leave. You know, you've got 
public places, if you're not being an asshole with it, no one's going to say anything. And I know this is all technically illegal, but it's not nearly demonized to the sense that it was just 15 years ago. You know, when, when I actually started, I didn't start smoking regularly till I was like between 20 and 22. And, mm-hmm. you know, I remember I would, it, if I'd be smoking outside, just, you know, uh, walk into a restaurant or something, I'd be scared shitless. And today I'm just like, I, I, I don't even think it's illegal, even though it is. And I probably shouldn't uh, theoretically, if I were to do that. Right. So I had, I had dinner with, um, I had dinner with Jason Wild, who's the chairman of Terrasend in New York last week. And we, we got off from dinner and we were like, all right, let's go find a, let's go find a dispensary, like some of these illegal dispensaries. And we just started walking around Midtown and, you know, sharing a joint while we're walking around. You walk it, by cops and, you know, no one didn't carry on. New York is the best for that because yeah. it's, it's just weed fits New York so well for the lifestyle of walking from place to place. Like it mm-hmm. just with, with all the great food. I remember I was there the week it happened. I was actually up there with Ricky Williams. And I remember we were talking, we were walking down the street, smoking a joint, talking about the NFL because they had just allocated like a million dollars to cannabis research. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we go into the bodega and get a bagel, bacon, egg and cheese. And it was just such a wonderful experience being able to smoke cannabis on the streets of New York. Yeah, it's um it's different. It is, man. It it's cool. It um, you know, I I'm very bullish on the industry, which is why I think so many of us are so dedicated to it. And you know, you talked earlier about the jobs that you provide and the employees that you have versus a McDonald's or Walmart. And I guarantee you the main difference between the folks that work for you versus the ones that work for McDonald's or Walmart is they love their fucking jobs or they care about their jobs or at the very least they're passionate about what they do in the hopes of moving up the chain into whatever that dream job is within the organization. And that's what is different about this industry. Like, listen, most of the folks that work at McDonald's or Walmart, they're trying to pay bills. They're trying to, you know, get a first job. They're just trying to have an income. They're not there because they love fucking stocking the shelves at Walmart. Certainly Mm -hmm. not. Right. They, the folks that are inside of a dispensary, if you walk into a dispensary and you talk to a bud tender and you ask them what their favorite products are, you will see a smile light up like you've never seen before. Right. It's sure. just, that's how it is. And they're talking, you know, y'all go in and, you know, went into our dispensary in Worcester last weekend, you know, talking about, Oh, okay, we get these new strains on the menu. People are excited. Yeah. And they're excited to be there. They're proud of the products they're selling, you know, in our case, um, and it's great to see, but you're, you're totally right, Todd, in that, you know, this is an industry where, you know, there's going to be a lot of growth and, you know, you take a company like Forefront. So, you know, we, I'll shorten the story, but we sort of got our start in Washington state um, where, you know, we, we kind of figured out, um, you know, our CEO, Leo Gottmaker started a couple of facilities in, in Washington where we figured out. Um, you know, how to basically do low cost production, produce quality products at a really low cost. And if you could get the labor out and automate uh, the manufacturing piece as best you can and, and, and ring cost out wherever you can, you know, you could still cash flow even in a, even in a market like Washington where, you know, things have commoditized and your brand is basically a quality product at a great price. And so we've kind of taken that mantra, you know, on the road and we took it to Massachusetts and we've, we've replicated the model there and you're only allowed three retail in Massachusetts. So, 
Um, we've got, you know, we're starting to starting to sell outside of our retail locations, but you know, we're we're doing incredibly well in mass. And then the third state we went into was Cali. And Cali, we didn't have a grow. We had a big uh, product. We have a big production facility. And, you know, we were going to have a one-two punch of growth. We've got, we had Cali coming online. And then we had um, a big grow facility and production facility in Illinois coming online with eight more dispensaries that we could add under, under the regulations. So between those two, we thought we were entering a period of hyper growth. And, you know, the story of Forefront right now is like, we're kind of, we're, we're doing great in Massachusetts, Illinois, and, and, and holding serve in, in Washington, but we thought we had a big growth opportunity in Cali. And so we came to market last January with, you know, all those products that have been successful in Washington and retailers who we were selling to basically didn't have capital to pay their bills. Yep. And so, you know, you'd sell to someone, they say, oh, we love the products. They sold through really quickly. It's like, okay, well, you haven't paid us in 90 days. And I, I know that you'd like a reorder, but, you know, we need you to pay us first. And they were like, well, okay, well, maybe we'll buy from, you know, the guy over there this month because I think he might be going out of business and I won't, maybe I won't have to pay him at all. Yeah. So, and so in Cali, you know, we had this problem where, you know, instead of, you know, the retail base expanding like it should, you know, as, as regulations, you know, loosened up with the municipalities, you're actually seeing a credit crunch in that market. And so what we've done was, you know, we sort of said, okay, we're no longer willing to burn cash in California. We're generating cash everywhere else we are. Cali should be no different. And so we committed to the market, you know, about a month or two ago that we would be cash flowing in the next 45 days in Cali. And we're going to come pretty damn close. That's incredible. So, so we are going to be cash flowing as a company, you know, um, I believe either this month or next month. That's incredible. Because Cali, so, I, I, California is hard to operate in that sense. I can't tell you how many dispensaries. So I, you know, I didn't have that direct connection. We would operate through our distributor yeah. and I put an order in the system and the distributor will call me. Yeah, we can't, we can't send an order to them. Why? Well, they got four brands that they're over 120 days late on. Oh shit. Okay. Well, right. next one. But that's, but that's cannabis. Right. And that's why, you know, when you're looking at, you know, investing money, like I used to be a small cap growth investor. You're like, well, cannabis industry is going to throw a lot of shit at you and the management has to manage around that. Now you could argue that, you know, getting into California, we were, we were, we were jumping into the fire, um, given our, you know, confidence in how we've done in Washington. Um, but you know, that was a mistake that we oh. cauterized and, you know, we're, we're, you know, have a slim down presence in California, but we're still there and we'll be able, we'll be there if the sun, if the sun starts shining again. I mean, California is one of the places where I would encourage vertical integration because if you can control your supply chain, then you don't have to worry about getting paid by yourself. That's right. That's right. <laughs> so, so, yeah. And so, but, but here's the problem. So, as a company like us, we're, we're restrained in capital. And you say, all right, you've got this facility in California. And okay, do you want to bring us, start bringing on retail in California? Or you've got, you know, a cultivation and production facility that's coming online in Illinois in the next couple months, would you rather put that incremental dollar into retail in California or retail in Illinois? Illinois, 
Because a retail in Illinois is going to be doing the average retail in Illinois does 15 million bucks. And that's the problem with California right now is most of the people that are in California and other areas are putting less and less resources into California. I mean, people are just leaving in droves, including us. Like we're not we're not leaving the state, but man, we have we have slimmed down our presence over the last three months. So um, just because you know, we, we simply can't afford to burn cash. And if California is not going to regulate. And if California is not going to allow, you know, retail to proliferate and they're not going to crack down on the illicit market and they're going to overtax, you know, it's going to be tough for folks to do business there in the legal market. Or even just people that are robbing, you know, legal grows too. that too. It's just, it's, it's, it's ridiculous. I, I don't, the lawlessness, I don't understand. Like, do so, so if we had, and same in New York, it's like, okay, so if you had 1400 illegal liquor stores in New York city, the liquor board wouldn't come and find them or shut them down. Like what, what what's going on you guys, yeah. but, but here's, here's why, you know, I'm, I'm relatively bullish outside of, you know, what I'm still very bullish outside of, you know, what I think could happen on the federal side is. So we have, you know, we have a facility, as I said, that's coming online in the next couple of months. It's complete. We just are waiting for power to get there, but you know, with, we're allowed to, we, currently we have two dispensaries in Illinois and a very small grow, 9,000 square feet. We're doing a little, we're doing about $40 million in revenue. If you look at, you know, what GTI, Cura Leaf, Verano, people with a full scaled presence in their full allotment of 10 stores in Illinois do, they do over 300 million in revenue. So we already have the first piece of that coming online um, in two months. And if we can pack in eight more retail in Illinois behind that, we have a chance to more than double our company in the next 18 to 24 months That's just by terrible. executing in one state. So you can finish. Sorry. No, no. And and so that, you know, you're like, wow, I, I don't think I don't think a lot of folks can say that they have the opportunity to double the size of their company in a highly confident way. Um, Not now they don't certainly. Yeah. And, and, and with, and to your point earlier, we expect to have our own retail in, in Illinois. So we can control, you know, a, we think that we can bring a superior product to market um, given, you know, what we've done in other States. Um, and you look at the quality of the flower in Illinois, it's, it's pretty, it's, it isn't there yet. It's, um, you know, a lot of a lot of irradiated stuff that just doesn't look, smell, taste very good. Um, and we think that we can bring a great product to market and 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 build out a retail presence. And we have a very visible line of growth, profitable growth in front of us. That's um, awesome. And that's all. Not now. It's very simple. It's not. It's not easy, but it's a very simple strategy. And that's all we have to do is nail Illinois. That's beautiful. So on yeah. that note, too. We we're at a point in time capital investment into cannabis is down ninety seven percent year over year, right? Yeah, it is. It's it's tough out there. You say that you know you're out there raising capital, talking to family offices and everything else. I think the unfortunate part in the investment community is is cannabis is a cannabis investment is more taboo than smoking cannabis right now. It seems that people are just afraid to touch it because of the health of the industry. I don't know that they're afraid of the health of the individual companies. So how do we as an industry show people that there is still like, we're still in the first inning. Like there is still a ton of opportunity here. And how do we bring investors back to the space? Because psychedelics already beat us to Aaron Rodgers. 
So yeah, how do we get the message out there? I, I think that um, I think it, I, unfortunately, I, I think it's going to take some movement federally for investors to come back in, and there's really not a lot we can do about it until then, other than try to execute and generate cash. Because you know, if you think about, you know, I started raising in, it's raising money in the cannabis industry in 2013. And all of those folks that I brought in 10 years ago for this generational opportunity are basically at cost or a little bit under. And, you know, you go back to those folks and you say, hey, you know, now, now it's really good. I promise. And they're sort of like, yeah, I've, uh, I've, I've made enough, I've made a big enough bet in the cannabis industry. I'm going to see how it plays out. And so one of the biggest problems you have in this industry right now is that there's no new blood. So all of the capital sources who have been around, um, you know, for the last 10 years are tired. They're frustrated. Um, the funds that have invested in this have, you know, their limited partners yelling at them that, you know, that's been so much underperformance. And so I'm, the, the good news is that sediment almost couldn't be worse. Yeah. Um, and, you know, these aren't conversations that people have at 52 week highs and on a roll. Um, these are, these are, these are conversations that are had when people have gotten their teeth kicked in and they're, and they're questioning what they're doing with their lives. And that's kind of where we are right now. Yeah. And so, you know, if, and, and no one's, and no one's willing to discount anything federally. Like, I mean, shit, if you had gotten up there five years ago and said, you know, and had the guy from health and human services saying we might reschedule cannabis this year. Like these stocks would have gone bananas and people are like, people are like, yeah, I'll believe it when I see it. And so they're discounting nothing. So if we start to get some of those data points and we start to get some follow through and, and, you know, you start to see, you know, companies doing the right things in terms of tightening their cost structure and trying to, you know, get their, get their debt loads in line and, you know, do the, do the things that you can do to, to, to generate cash. I think um, people will come back um, in droves. And here's, here's why I say that. You remember that big run-up right after the Georgia election and all these stocks? Mm-hmm. I think MSOS, had, the ETF, had been open for, I don't know, a few months at that point. And they took in something. On, so after the Georgia election, that ETF took in something on the order of 700 million bucks inside of like two months. My numbers are probably a little bit off, but they took in an extraordinary amount of money. And all of that money needs to be invested into fewer than 15 names, really. And so our goal, other than you know running a great business, is to be one of those top 10 to 15 names that you know people need to invest in when they come to cannabis. They say, okay, yeah. who are the credible good operators that know what the F they're doing? And we want to be able to say we're one of them. And that's going to attract investment dollars. And so when that money comes in, I think it's going to come in quickly. And there's going to be people trying to catch up. And this is, this is the way these things work. And when, then when with any luck, you start to get access to, you know, real institutional money and the Black Rocks and Fidelities of the world can make real investments in cannabis. And this can be a real industry. So our goal is, you know, to be one of those players that, attracts capital when the tide starts to turn. And I think that we are, um, we're on track to be able to do that. That's awesome. 
I, I commend you guys at Forefront for being able to build what you've built with the resources available to you. You know, I know it's not easy in, in this environment or any environment, and especially now with the capital crunch and being able to, you know, I think maybe this is a good thing for the industry where it is forcing people to learn how to best operate their business most efficiently to cash flow. And there's going to be a lot, you know, at that point, we'll see hopefully in a lot of other generational wealth opportunities come around as this industry grows at the rate that it's supposed to grow at. So mm -hmm. I'm excited for the future of the industry. I'm excited to see, you know, who, who's at the forefront of that as well too, no pun intended. Yeah, I, I am as well, man. Very That's cool. Right on. Well, Andrew, I appreciate your, your honesty, your candidness and your opinions on the industry, man. It's been a pleasure to speak with you. Um, you know, where can we send people to find Forefront websites, social media? Yeah, else? you know, www.forefrontventures.com with the number four. Um, you know, I've, I have a very small Twitter presence. Um, I, I try to keep my head down. Um, but, you know, we're, we're, on, we're on Instagram and, and Twitter as well. So, um, you know, we're, we're kind of the, we're kind of the small one that, you know, has a really good engine and we can bolt on some more pieces to it here. So we, we, we are looking forward to being in an environment where you know, we can be one of the fastest growing, you know, MSOs out there. That's awesome, man. Well, I appreciate your time and we'll definitely do this again. All right, Todd. Thank you. Thank you to Andrew and thank you to everybody at home for watching. Of course, if you missed any part of this episode, you can always find it on our YouTube channel at youtube.com slash elevate your grind. Please like, describe, uh, like, subscribe, comment. If you have a mean comment, we encourage that as well too. But if you're going to be mean, make sure you're mean to other people in the comments as well too. So this way you start a fight and our engagement goes up. We would greatly appreciate that. Folks, for all things C-Lab, you can check it out at joincelab.com or Google Cannabis Lab Eventbrite. Remember, it's the third Thursday of every month. Orlando, Tampa, Miami, Broward County. Uh, come out to one of the events. Check us out in person, folks. It's been another episode of Elevate Your Grind. We'll see you next time.